Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, and welcome to the Commonwealth Club of California, celebrating 119 years of enlightened discussion. I'm Dr. Carol Fleming. I'm a member of the board of directors of the Commonwealth Club, and I serve as the chair of all the member-led forums. Yes, actual club members have opportunities to be part of the programming community here at the club, which is a very good reason to become a member of the club if you are not already. Go to commonwealthclub.org and look into membership and the member-led forums. The Commonwealth Club welcomes Dr. Michael Pritchard, who is our speaker today, and we're fortunate to have his voice of community, comedy, and compassion. Pritchard began his career on both the comedy stage and as a juvenile counselor in San Francisco's Youth Guidance Center. Drawing from his counseling background, Michael Pritchard began using humor to inspire and to teach. Michael tells us that there's no I in team, but I think he'll tell us where to find one. Mr. Pritchard, welcome. Thank you, Dr. Fleming. Always great to be with you. Uh, an honor and an honor to be back at the Commonwealth Club. I've done this. I love the folks here and it's the grounded anchor community that we need right now to, to pull community unity and to inspire folks to be involved and responsible and respectful in, in our community. Good. So where, where's that I in team? I will say, Carol, the most powerful thing I tell everybody is when I teach children, and I've worked for the San Francisco Giants Community Foundation for years, I teach that team is together, everyone anyone matters. Mm -hmm. And then I hear people, uh, a lot of uh, folks who are competitive go, yeah, but there is no I in team. You got to be tough. You got to be strong. You got to be ruthless and cruel. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. There is an I in friendship, community, and neighbors. And we must learn that because we depend on each other. During COVID-19, fires, tornadoes, floods, any kind of mass shooting. We need each other's hearts, responsible, calming, and bringing thankful and tranquil amenity of serenity and looking out for each other. And the children, the vulnerable, and the suffering. That's where the eye is. So I put myself in that eye, in community, in neighborhood, and also in friends. How do you go about encouraging that? Well, core is the French word for heart, encourage. Mm -hmm. Give strength to the heart, not discourage. A great teacher named Helen Keller was asked, oh, it must be hard for you to be blind. And she said, well, it would be if I had no vision. We see with our hearts. We want everyone to see with their hearts. When I talk to kindergartners, I say the best ship to sail on friendship. And what they teach me is even more powerful, Dr. Fleming. I, I think about this, Carol, all the time. I said, boys and girls, when I was talking about don't bully others, I said, you know, don't overstand people, understand people. And one of the kids raised his hand and said, yeah, but Mr. Mike, really, don't you think we need inner standing? 
understanding of ourselves and others. That isn't that helpful? I went, wow, wow. A fourth grader has more to teach me than my college professors. I'd never heard that word before, Carol. Understanding. Yes. How did you how did you respond to that? I just cry all the time with these kids. They teach me in powerful ways through their own compassion. One of them said to me, um, I said, who has a, a, a job and responsibility at home? And one of the little ones, third grade, said, I have a responsibility with that when my dad gets drunk and hits on my mom, I hide my baby brother in the closet so he doesn't hurt the baby. He shook him before and hurt him. I said, Taylor, I just sat down, hon. I, I don't know if I was ready for all that. Yeah. But you needed to tell me right away, right? And he goes, yes, sir. I go, why do you think you needed to tell me right away? Everybody needs to meet a kind stranger to tell their secrets to. Oh, God. Did that come from that When child? we offer a child the ability to unburden their sorrows, sufferings, we are at humanity's best. Everybody needs a kind stranger to tell their troubles to. Yeah. Oh, Michael, my goodness. Yeah, yeah. You're the, the right person in the right place, aren't you? The, the wisdom of little kids is inescapable. Uh, one of them I said, watch your temper. Anger past 30 seconds is ego. And the kid goes, and the ego is not your amigo. Oh, gosh. <laughs> so sometimes you laugh, sometimes you cry. Oh, it's just sometimes you laugh and sometimes you cry. One of, them, one of them told me this. I said, how do you get control of your temper? He goes, don't let their bad day be your bad day or your bad day be their bad day. Don't play angry tag with people. Oh, boy. Wow. Yeah. Sounds like a book needs to be written here, Michael. <laughs> well, I don't know that I have time for that. I'm so busy in triage uh, with hearts and suffering, but I spend all my time now on doing video Zoom shows. I call it Zoom Unity and Zen Unity because they, they teach so well. Now, these uh, the Zooms that you're doing, how are they focused at children, at adults who... Who, who are you talking to? It's everything. I, I'm talking to everybody. I just did one on neurodiversity at uh, in Florida for Ave Maria Communications. And we're talking about, uh, with young people, how they can, their vulnerability and admitting to the fact that they have uh, generalized anxiety disorder and offering their vulnerability and saying to get help. And then at the end, one of the young girls said, there's so many people with such great hearts that love you and want the best for you. You have to hear that voice as well as, as the things that you say to yourself that make you afraid. Michael, help us understand neurodiversity. What, what is that? Well, what neurodiversity is, Dr. Fung at Stanford is, is he's a medical doctor putting this out. There's uh, describing folks who have, like me, attention deficit disorder, uh, uh, dyslexia, ODD, oppositional defiance disorder. All of these create anxieties in us. And so we have to learn where parenting and grandparenting, 
bossing and supervising, managing other people, respect for neurodiversity. And what that means is gentle. Use your words as shields and not as swords. Sarcasm and cynicism are toxins. A sarcasm comes from the Greek term, the tearing of flesh off the spirit. And a cynic, as described by Oscar Wilde, is somebody who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mark Twain said that if you store those in your uh, container, you do more damage to yourself trying to pour those toxins and poisonous acids out on others than you do in hurting them. You're taking your own life and spirit and diminishing it. Hmm. What I'm, I'm wondering now is the, um, I don't think neurodiversity is a common word out there in our culture. How, how do we go about um, raising recognition of this, increasing sensitivity, finding ways, helping people learn how to be flexible to deal with this? What work has been done there? Well, that's a brilliant question, uh, Carol, because all we have to do is start accepting that the human brain is diverse. We have cultural diversity, ethnic diversity, religious diversity, and we honor and respect that to include and show dignity to all humanity. So that we must accept that the human brain is diverse as well. And we need to honor in so many ways not to insult or diminish the potential of folks who have Asperger high-functioning autism, like the geniuses of Bill Gates and many other great entrepreneurs, we have learned because they have learned how to honor themselves with creativity, brilliance. They become coders. They become genius entrepreneurs. And they employ us. And if we allow them, but the, my big problem was when I was a probation officer, Carol, I used to watch very neurodiverse children be shunned, shamed, guilted, blamed, accused. They were under-resourced by systems that didn't know how to help them. They wound up in prisons. And when I would be in prisons, I would be stunned at the genius level art, the genius level of brilliance in soliloquies, music. A anybody who's worked in a prison and a jail knows that there's so much creativity that goes on unrecognized. So we're more prone to see what's wrong with somebody and blinded to what's right about them. Amen. That's the wisdom of Purdue and San Francisco State University, ma'am. You are awesome. You get it. You, you get it. That's what makes you a great professor. You understand. Are you are you reaching out to the adults to with your message, Michael, or are mostly children? Or yes, oh, I do everybody. I do kindergarten to college. I do conversations with folks like you, who ask the smartest questions in the world. Come on, I talk with clergy. I talk with ministers. I talk with young people. Uh, and, and I even get all the way back down to kindergarten level. The young man that I'm working with right now was on my show after Columbine. He owns this studio I'm in right now. He was on my show called, yeah, he was on my show that Warren Buffett and Chuck Huggins paid for from Seize Candies, 
called Saving Our Schools from Hate and Violence. 21 years ago, he was a brilliant person on that show. He now has followed me into the work of helping and healing, and we do remarkable work. And, and just to know that Trevor, who's on the front cover of our, our thing right here, is now working with me and other interns that they teach and train. And so when anybody tells you that American business doesn't get it, think of Warren Buffett. Think of Chuck Huggins. They saved me and gave me the opportunity to film two specials on violence. But now, this past week, I'm back in Colorado helping cancer uh, Reiki uh, healers in their neighborhood. Ten people were killed at the supermarket. 21 years ago, we had the same kind of conversation in Littleton that we're having today. Violence doesn't have a zip code, and we have so many people crying with bullets instead of tears. What is it about these bullets that make it so persistent in our culture, Michael? Anger. Unaddressed grief turns to rage, rage to violence. Violence has two directions, outward towards others, inwards towards the self. And anybody in law enforcement can teach you that a person that's suicidal can often be homicidal. And so if we start addressing grief early, helping people with grief, before it makes that transition into the Petri dish of rage and violence, we have to teach them the human heart. Macbeth said, there was a line in Macbeth, Carol, he said, always give sorrow words. Grief that does not speak whispers to the overfraught heart and bids it to break. Well, grief, all bad feelings hurt bad inside. And the easiest remedy is to turn it into anger and pass it on to somebody right. else. That's a very human right. self-healing mechanism. Well, it, they, they think it's self-healing, but this is what I tell combat veterans that I work with. I take care of all these young guys uh, who have post-traumatic stress disorder, and I tell them, tears that do not flow will make other organs weep inside of us. We get sick if we don't weep and let ourselves feel and let our heart be alleviated by it and learn forgive to live, live to forgive. Well, you know, we can teach them chemistry, heart, intelligence. We can teach them IT. We can travel all around the world, but we can't look into each other's eyes and say, I love you and I feel your suffering. And in your vulnerability, I am with you. I hold your heart and I love you and I want the best for you. And I've been there with homeless people and combat generals and said the same thing. Because the, uh, the tragedy of the acting out in response to fear and pain is um, you, be, you have the blame game to get it out of you and send it on to somebody right. else, which boomerangs, because people don't want to feel that way. And they don't want to feel judged and blamed. And right. so they will turn around and make it harder for you. And around we go in that cycle of... Right. I... I have a great line for you that you'll love, taught to me by a dyslexic kid in Chicago. He goes, you know what, Mr. Mike? Blame is me at the end of blah, blah, blah. And shame is me at the end of shh, shh, shh. He goes, that's how bullies work. They want you silent. 
not objecting to their cruelty. And Dr. King said, there'll come a time in your life when you can do the right thing or look the other way. If you look the other way, you're already dead. You'll go on to the end of your days breathing, but never know who you could have been, what you might have accomplished, and what you were here to do. Wise words from the Holy Spirit in Dr. King. Well, wise words from Michael Pritchard. Um, what I hear from you is so much scholarship. You read, you think, you keep, and you use. Yes. I don't know of anyone who yes. actually activates the pearls of wisdom you can find from, from our leaders, from our scholars, and puts it out there to, to people. I'm so honored that you said that, Doc. I was a C student all through high school and college. <laughs> well, I will tell you that I tell the kids, don't wait for the light at the end of the tunnel. Become the light going through the tunnel and glow in the dark as you go. So I was a neuro... I was a neurodiverse kid. I had ADD. Uh, one of the kids said to me one time when I worked with the Giants, he goes, hey, man, Mr. Mike, do you know what uh, ADD is? I have ADD. I said, Stevie, I got ADD. I get it. He goes, do you know how many ADD people it takes to screw in a light bulb? I said, no, how many? And he goes, do you want to go to a Giants game? <laughs> <laughs> Good maneuver. Oh, he was a genius kid. He, he had so much to teach me. And I know that I had a joyful heart when I was a kid growing up. I didn't have perfect grades. But you started off a joyful, were you a joyful baby? Did your mom say that you just were smiling all the way? I'm going to cry now if I tell the story. I had a dream of my mother. I was the fourth of her children. And when she had postpartum depression after uh, four babies in a row and she said to me in a dream when you came your heart healed me she said you would rub my back and say everything will be okay mommy she'd lost uh, her brother her mom and dad her brother in World War II at Anzio and he was her closest buddy and she was from a family of nine and raised all these kids all boys and then she had four sons and I always felt like I was sent to heal my mom, even when I was little. Do you tell this story to children? And I kept it Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because I don't think they hear stories like that very often. Well, you know, I, I, I tell, right. No, I, I know what you're saying. And, and I tell them the human heart has the potential to heal. And when joyful, like the line I use is, uh, you don't stop laughing because you grow old. You grow old because you stop laughing. When I was at the Marines Memorial, one of the old timers, who's, uh, I go, Tommy, what's the best part of turning 100? And he went, the absolute lack of peer pressure. <laughs> no peers. <laughs> I, oh, man, can't get better. It's a, it was, oh, what a sweetheart. So you, you learn from the old folk as well as the children. You seem to learn from all of your contacts. I listen to seniors. They have such inherent wisdom. I work in hospice at times and read to them. I read a book called Mostly Bob by Tom Corwin. About uh, It's only a 10-minute book, 
and, and it's about a dog passing away, being replaced by a dog that saw how well his neighbor dog was being treated and he wanted more of same. What was the name of the book? Mostly Bob by Tom Corwin. Mostly Bob. Hmm. Have not heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I, when I read it to the little, to the seniors at the things, they cry. And one of them was so funny. He, it was, he goes, you read this to make me cry because you knew I wasn't being loved at the other place and I'm loved here. And one of the elderly ladies goes, shut up, Bert. Not everything's about you. <laughs> True that. <laughs> shut whole, up, Bert. The whole crowd cracked up. We were roaring. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Um, you held yeah. up a card a couple of minutes ago. What was that card? Was it a? Well, that was the, the video that I shot with Trevor. Uh let me come here come here look at this guy this guy this guy was on my show when he was a kid oh really and he's a remarkable spirit and so if we can get people to follow us into our work the torch is passed because i'm getting old yeah it's happening it's happening well, Red Buttons, Red Buttons said, you know, you're getting old when somebody says nice lizard skin shoes and you go, I'm not wearing shoes. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. And Michael, we, we've been going through this this last year um, has been an amazing experience. Okay. This uh, pandemic yeah. and all the ramifications of it. Um, how would you describe where we are? Uh, at the end of a year of, of uh, experiencing this pandemic? Uh, a great uh, writer, a French writer, Vignel, said, in order to make your dreams come true, the most important thing you can do, wake up! The whole world is waking up. We can choose to be together and know these words. There is a choice between the power of loving unconditional power or the power of unconditional love. Mm, 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 mm. Well, in these uh, political currents that we're in now, that message seems particularly pertinent. Well, I will say that what everybody has to, to understand is anger is what we need rehab from. So much grief, sorrow, so much feelings that you're the victim, as opposed to going through the emotional archaeology on all sides to find out how you were wronged. How about we fix what we can fix and we take care of suffering, wounded, hurt, hungry, medically in need, and those who are in some way vulnerable to the cold winds of misfortune. So we, we need to, to wake up from this year of grievance and death, yes. poverty. We somehow yes. need to spin gold out of this straw. Br wow. You, you should write the book. Yes. The golden nugget that you just laid out is absolutely correct, Professor. You're a genius. When you, when you find a way in our world to tell people, get out of your ego, and come humble to the world. Be a servant of the world. 
be the medicine for a stronger, wiser, Solomonic, Solomonic wisdom world. See that there are things that we can't handle politically and know that because we have so many angry people in charge leading us to more anger to control, to be indifferent to the suffering of others, this is not humane. I guess I put it this way. My uncles were at D-Day and Ike Eisenhower said, when my young men arrived here at Normandy, I don't know if they knew what we were fighting for. But when we got to Auschwitz and Dachau and Mauthausen, they knew absolutely what they were fighting against. Evil, hatred, anger, used as a tool by tyrants. So when I spoke to the troops, these are the words that I said. There is a river of gladness that runs through the city of the Most Holy. He is within it. It will not fall. He will save it at the break of dawn. Nations and kingdoms will totter. Despots and tyrants will fall. When he lifts his voice, the earth melts away. Come and look at all the desolation he has put forth on earth. But he ends wars to the ends of the earth. He shatters the bow. He burns the shield with fire. He splinters the spear. Be still. Feel the presence of the higher power. The Lord of all the host of angels is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, I apologize to every agnostic and atheist out there. I love you. I'll give my life for you. I'll defend you and your belief. I will not blame you. I will feed you, nurture, and comfort you. That's all I ask for you to do for me. Mother Teresa's line is, if you judge people, you never have time to learn to love them. Let's get on these streets and help. I think we just That's need a, up for good, I think I think we need to have a moment of, of silence here to let this uh, resonate the enormity of your heart and uh, imagination. How do we how do we duplicate, replicate, multiply Michael Pritchard? <laughs> my wife is trying to get me to lose weight. <laughs> Okay. I got a bumper sticker on my truck. It says, bulk up. Big people are harder to kidnap. And <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's good. I tried that ultra slim fast and I found out it tastes great on Ben and Jerry's ice cream. Oh, <laughs> you would, huh? You would. But the, <laughs> um, getting back to, have you got any feeling of how children are experiencing this pandemic? What's What's happening to them? There's a, I've been working with a group of women that I titled uh, Amen, Angel Moms Enlightenment Network. They've lost their children to suicide and overdose. They're overly anxious and fearful, and we've lost many of them. So I work with them to try to teach them how to teach us how we can find the triggers in those youngsters who might be neurodiverse and need our help with their anxieties. And we film it. And I've been working with the uh, local county of Office of Education with uh, my friend Michelle Drake, trying to lift them and shift them and gift them. You have a way with words, Michael. Our kids need, truly, Doc, they need to know they're not lonely, that we love them. They, they, they get isolated and they self-isolate. And I had a kid in Pismo Beach, and he said this, Carol, in front of the whole school. You all call me the school loser, the school shooter, the school loner, but you don't know my heart. 
I have high-functioning Asperger and I can't stand loud noise. So I sit alone in the library and I sit alone in the cafeteria because I can't handle the noise and I have to study to get out of high school so I can get to college where it'll be softer. But you all should get to know me. You should get to understand me and try to make a friend of me because chances are increasing. You're gonna have a kid like me one day and then what will you do? Oh my God, wow. Every, every one of us knows this. We have all these neurodiverse kids who are pouring in to save the planet, incarnating, incarnating butterflies in a world full of angry praying mantis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you get much exposure to teachers, Michael? The all the time, yeah. Talk to teachers, that's who's on the uh, thing. I love teachers. My mom and dad were teachers. My dad was a military officer. He, he trained and my mom was a Catholic school teacher. I think about her every day. I think your message would be so important uh, for them. You know, I love teachers and I always have. And, and I keep telling everybody, we do this emotional archeology span where we're trying to go back and blame teachers. Well, it's just so ineffective. Fix. Here's my line from a little kid. He goes, hey, Mr. Mike, we need more solutioneers. Solutioneers. There you go. There you go. You know, um, great word, right? It is. That is a wonderful word. Your your optimism and energy seem boundless. Does it feel like that on the inside? Don't you get down, Mike? No, I lost my brother this year, but I'm an Irish Catholic. I know I'll see him. He's not an inch away from me, nor is my friend Robin Williams, whose boundless optimism, you know. I used to take him to play basketball with neurodiverse seniors, and he had such a blast. He said to me, Carol, he goes, why do I feel so good here, Pritch? And his wife Susan and I would play basketball with the Casey and Peter, his stepsons, and we had a blast. And I said, because Robin, everywhere else you're in the world, you're on give, and here, you're on receive. They love you. Just the heart you have to come and play basketball. And you're like a superstar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if he's having a blast, everybody's having a blast. Because when he got turned yeah, on, yeah. he was incandescent. Yeah, oh, he was, yeah. He. I spent so much time laughing with him and crying with him. I, I told this story, uh, I told a young kid who was a millennial, try the word optimist stoic. I made that word up for you. Stoic belief in optimism. Positivity is a force multiplier. That's what uh, General Colin Powell said. And I said, well, what do you think? And he said, well, Mr. Pritchard, we're uh, millennials and we live in a constant state of anticipation. <laughs> oh, got to write that one down. Anticipation. Anticipation. That's a great word. I love that. Oh, man, that is so good. You smart kid. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, we, I said, if we get to a point where we allow disappointment to turn to disillusionment, that means take the light out of. Disillusion. No yeah. Okay. Okay. That's good. You know, if we know words, we know the most powerful gift in the world is how kids teach us. One of the kids who was dyslexic said, silent and listen have the same letters, heart and earth, same letters, secure and rescue. And my favorite, reactive and creative. And then he told me this. These are children coming up with these, these um, insights? Yeah. Yes, neurodiverse. They look at things another way. They see differently. Mm -hmm. Thank heavens. 
and it carries to the brain. One of them told me this, Carol, I thought this was great. And I told Dr. Uh, Emil Kakis this last night. He said, he said, did you know that and is just DNA? <laughs> to me. True that. True that. Wow. DNA and. Wow. And not but. <laughs> you brilliantly, brilliantly put. You love language. So uh, language and kids, they have so many great words to teach us and wisdom. One of them I asked one day, I said, he was a kindergartner. I go, uh, how do we get through this? He goes, never let your sad turn to mad. Oh. Because then it all gets bad. Oh. Wow. Hello. You take note. I mean, keep going back to a book. I could see... Um... A compendium here of what I learned from kids. I wrote a book called Listen to What Your Kids Aren't Telling You. And, uh, you know, it's, it was probably too positive for the world. <laughs> you, know, you know that joke about the cynic, uh, the pessimist? He's the one who walks into a room full of flowers and goes, there's got to be a coffin in here somewhere. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if we change our attitude, we change our heart. We change the world. Are you really busy? Are you getting out there? Are you, you know, what are you not doing? Really, I'm on a I'm on a bum wheel and gotta get it fixed. And so I'm kind of resting up. And as soon as I get my knee back, I'm gonna go out and raise a ton of money to help the world. And I personally am uh, not wealthy, but I have a son who's a doctor, a son who's a comedy writer and a teacher. And his wife, they're, they're like professor teachers. And my son and his wife live in uh, New Orleans, and he's an ER doctor. And my daughter is a hairpiece. She styles women's hair and listens to their life situations. Smartest one of the group. <laughs> She's down on Steiner and uh, hate. Oh, right here, right here in the city. So are all your kids are around here? Yes, ma'am. Uh, Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, they're all, well, one son's in New Orleans and the other's in L.A. And then Katie's here with the grandbaby, who is the best thing in the world for me. I can't get depressed around a four-year-old with bright red curly hair. And he is the exclamation point on a life well-loved. Isn't that nice? That's good. Yeah, it is the best. Oh, he does. I am completely, I mean, he, the other day he made me laugh. His grandmother was working his last raw nerve. And I, I love my wife, but she was, she's a mom and a grandmom. And she was yelling at him about his eating his tofu. And earlier in the day, he says, I can't be nice to everybody like you, grandpa. I can't be, I can't be kind like you. I can't be kind to everybody. And so when my wife was yelling at him, I said, but Braun, you you can try. Yoda says, there is no try. There is only do or do not do. And he looks at me when Ma, Grandma's yelling at him, and he goes, just like a Robert De Niro face, he goes, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. See? Yeah, yeah, there it is. <laughs> there it is. You see what I have to put up with? That's right. Yeah. Exactly. I started laughing. I was crying. I was talking to her. I didn't want to get... I didn't want to get grandma mad at me. I was like, and you bust up. What fun. What fun. Family life for me has been the stabilizing anchor of the existence. A wife and kids who love you and get you 
And, you know, they know you ain't no saint. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the laughter in the house with all the foster care kids and kids we've helped raise over the years, unbelievable. It's like something in a movie you would see. It looks looks like the uh, United Nations at Thanksgiving. Cheaper by the dozen, is that the philosophy here? Yeah, that's, yeah, more like three dozen. Really? But, yeah, but see, here's the thing. The more in you include, the less uh, self-absorbed everybody gets. True, yeah. Sure. Yeah, the more you include. Big family, kids, yeah. So that's yeah. where we talk about friends and neighbors and community. Include that right. circle. And I call it, yeah, that, yeah. I, I will tell you that on 9-11, 2001, there was millionaires and billionaires at the top of the World Trade Center waiting to be rescued by working class folks from like my neighborhood. Going up those steps were cops and firemen and paramedics to save lives. Coming down the steps were the wealthiest people in the world. And when I was back with Father Kevin White talking to uh, Rockville Center folks for the Catholic Church, I said, hey, if they don't pay for the lung uh, diseases that we get, who's still going with me? Because I'm going up to save them. It's not how they live. It's how we choose to live. Community unity, friends, neighbors. Pray together, laugh together, live together. That's how we live. Hilpus, maybe maybe um, a checklist from Michael Pritchard on how do we dig ourselves out of this pandemic mentality, the hole that the hole that we're in. How would you how would you guide the ordinary person at this point? I always tell everybody, fear is the little dark room where negatives are developed. Ooh, you are just full of these uh, expressions. That's so good. That's yes. not what my wife would say, Carol. Oh, <laughs> what's, her, what's her version? Okay. <laughs> you don't want to hear, I have to go to Mass on Easter Sunday. So... <laughs> <laughs> so that's just for me and my wife is going to go why did you say that on television anyway all right listen here's the thing people are afraid carol they're they think they're losing something that they never really had we never really own anything the pharaohs of egypt thought they were taking it with them but it's at the rosicrucian museum in san jose right you're not taking it with you the at the end of a chess game, the pawn and the queen and the king go back in the same box. Arthur Miller said, no matter how rich and powerful you are, how important you get to be, on the day you die, the size of your funeral depends on the weather that day. <laughs> and so where do you think you're going? Where do you think, you know, violence doesn't have a zip code. Because you go to the country club and exclude yourself from others, and might condescend or look down at them, not include them, and not maybe even do a benefit to help make things better in the community. And many of the golf courses I go to, the folks are great. They help me, like, like Warren Buffett, like Chuck Huggins. I get corporate guys that know the real successes in corporate women the, are not the people that love money and use people. They're the people that love people and use money. And you can't look down on somebody and use their heart as your personal toilet paper. Pardon my language, but 
I have to be direct because you see cruel and ruthless uh, folks holding for themselves and then the sorrows of their lives. Because Ebenezer Scrooge put it this way. When they came to Scrooge, Dickens said, He was as solitary as an oyster in his pain. Think, he was so lost. He had amassed everything and power, but he was lonely and sad. And until the awakening of the three spirits, he had been devoid of compassion. This is how we dig ourselves out. We remind people through literature and not get angry at those greedy folks. I had a third grader say this to me, Carol. It, it made me cry. It did. I said, you know, doesn't that make you angry with somebody's as solitary as an oyster in his pain and they have everything? And this little kid from Puerto Rico is so sweet. He goes, Mr. Mike, you don't get angry at them. Don't dislike them. If you love them, you can create a rainbow pearl in their heart inside their oyster. And I said, I was wrong. And Ramundo, you, you are right. And then he looks at me doleful eyes and goes, just saying. Just saying. Just saying. Okay. Just saying. Yeah. So we have to deal with this fear that's out there, yeah. which we know is behind all kinds of negative, angry expressions of hurt and blame. Yeah. We know this is fear-based. Um, I hear you say, just love them. What else can... You're so good at metaphor. Well, compassion is, is the key. Self-compassion, teaching self-compassion, teaching them that, you know, the, the toughest special forces, rangers and Green Berets and SEALs and folks that I've spoken to and helped and, and lifted up. There's, I think of this kid every day. His name was uh, Scott Wirtz. We lost him in Syria. He was a DIA agent. He was a SEAL. He went to DeSmet High School in St. Louis, and he was a remarkable kid and a gift from uh, his dad and mom's, Sandy and, and Ski, just a heck of a kid. But in his vulnerability and all of these women and men in special forces, they teach us we are strongest when we admit to the weakness in us. That vulnerability builds courage, and courage is fear that has said its prayers. We must find that courage. So you're asking us to, to understand the roots of fear, anger, to fear, which is from something there before we react to it in, in like kind, in, in angry form. Let me give you a poem that explains it better than I. And it's written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Hear these words. And, I, and I'm astounded by it, that he had lived through the Civil War. And he understood hate because he lost friends on both sides. And as Grant said, nobody, everybody wanted a Civil War until the third year. And these are the words. And in despair, I'd hang my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song. Peace on earth, goodwill to men. But then I heard the bell peal loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail and the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. To all. Makes me ready for Christmas, Mike. And knowing that, 
<laughs> well, if if everybody hears Kate Smith sing that, yes, you'll feel the presence of America. Yeah. Well, just um, just hear her "God Bless America" and you have the tears coming down your cheeks. Yes, because she was filled with the power of the Spirit. Wasn't she though? And she was a big girl too. Which can't be met. That's that's your weight problem right there, Mike. It's just so much spirit. <laughs> well, I'm not really big uh, or heavy. I'm just easily seen. <laughs> okay. Well, all right. Okay. So listen, we're 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 understanding, you know, roots roots of fear with compassion. Anything else about helping the healing to get us out of this morass from the pandemic? Anything else that you want to say? uh, Mr. Booth, who created Salvation Army, was asked in the 1870s what one word he would like to send out on the telegraph to the world. He could have said Jesus. He should have said God. But he said others. Think not just of your own sorrow, your own suffering, your own grief, your own pain, your own ego. Some folks are so self-absorbed, it's amazing they haven't drowned. Some of these folks are so self-absorbed. You ask, how many of these people does it take to screw in a light bulb? One. They stand still and the whole world revolves around them. Oh, yes. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. They get a good look in the mirror, they fall in love, and they remain faithful ever after. <laughs> Michael, what's the new normal going to be? What, what, do you, what do you think is coming down the pipe for us? Well, normal is just a setting on a dryer. I think the new normal is going to be an awakening for humanity. We need each other. We need each other in Africa, Asia, Europe, Central Asia. We need each other in South America. We need to see. We need the vision to understand that we cannot do this unless we have all on board rowing to the safe harbors of our heart. Well, this new normal then is going to require quite a mind switch. It was going to require optimism and generosity. And maybe um, out of the corner of my eyes, Michael, I keep seeing glimpses of creative response to these bad times that I find very exciting. Those who have taken this dross. Innovation and, and technology. Yes. I see the innovation in medicine. I see the innovation in communications. I see the incredible diplomacy that's getting past the borders of greed and indifference and and calculated uh, misogyny and racism and anti-Semitism. We can only defeat that darkness and chaos with light. And you're seeing, you're seeing, we're mostly... Where are you seeing the light mostly? Where are you looking? What direction? Oh, I I see it in children because they're so remarkable. They say the most profoundly important thing. They're so wise and uh, soulful. I, uh, if you you know, you picture this. I asked a kid, uh, "Can you describe your depression?" You're an artist. He said, "Depression." is when you're encapsulated in a large glass globe and you can't reach out and touch anyone and no one can reach in and touch you. And unless you shatter that globe from the inside 
or you allow a friend to shatter from the outside, you could remain entombed, unable to touch, unable to feel, but gone through life, pressed up against the snow globe, numb. Know what I mean, Mr. Mike? And you did know. I did. And my, my boom operator got emotional and I could hear a tap next to me. He was crying. He said, I have a bipolar son. And it was his tears. And so I knew that we could take a break. And I looked at that young man and I said, I will only say this to you once. You are a profound spirit and you have brought light to the world. And there are so many millions of those incarnating right now, like a big billion butterflies coming down to slit to save us from ourselves, our own ignorance. You know, you make me feel I need to talk to more children. Yes. Oh, please, Carol, do. Come with me sometime. Just find a place. Oh, my God, you'll cry laughing. You, you want to hear the greatest line ever delivered by a kindergartner? Uh-oh, lay it on me. I said, hey, boys and girls, who takes care of the plants and flowers because they need fresh air and sunshine and love, right? And this little kid in Northern California goes, no. I go, what do you mean, no? And he goes, my dad grows trees in his closets. <laughs> I think daddy's growing some hydroponics. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But laughter, the spontaneity of joy. You see, that's. That's that's what you that what you bring. Uh, another aspect I think of your tremendous gift, Michael, is your skill with metaphor, um, constantly making sensible and real the meaning that you're trying to to communicate. To find the words that make it connected to the earth and experience. Well, that's why we need an earth mirth rebirth. Yes, there you go. That's right. Um. Michael, um, we've covered a lot of wonderful territory today. What haven't we mentioned that's in your heart now? Well, what's in my heart is there's a, there's a place that the Episcopal Church runs. It's a cancer camp called St. Dorothy's Rest. It was built for folks with tuberculosis in Sonoma, and we've got to keep it going. And there's a poem there by a great writer, Nellie Lincoln, uh, she wrote a book called Consecrated Common Sense. And the opening line of hers is, on the road of life, you only have one constant companion. Make sure that you become good company for yourself. And there on the wood is this poem. All the winds of God are blowing, so keep your sails unfurled. And the winds of God will take you to the safe harbors of the world. Forever full of power to take you where you will, forever full of grace, if there are sails to fill. So take the helm, be master, unfurl your sail, your part, and the winds of God will take you to the safe harbors of your heart. I want to close here, Michael. I want those words to be what resonates here. And I was going to say Dr. Michael Pritchard. I think I should say Reverend Michael Pritchard. <laughs> Cut to a picture of the whole family going like this. <laughs> I would love, I would love that. And and dear audience, thank you so much for visiting the Commonwealth Club. And I hope you'll remember us when we get to that donation part on our website. I'm Carol Fleming, thanking you all. Bye bye. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. 
Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support. Thank you.